Hello, I'm Andrew Fisher, composer and lyricist, and welcome to the Two Rivers Cafe podcast, a friendly hangout where music and conversation mix. Collaboration with other writers and artists has always been one of the great joys in my life. Each episode, I'll be joined by an artist who works with music to talk about their range of experiences. Expect honesty, insight, laughter, ideas, and the odd happy accident as we put our heads together to create something new. Will it work? Let's find out. I'm delighted to be joined today by the hugely talented traditional and contemporary folk musician, composer, arranger and producer and Radio 2 Young Folk nominee, Alex Garden. Hello, Alex. Hello. Lovely to be here. Um, I've been a fan of yours since I first heard you perform as part of the brilliant folk duo, The Dry Stones with Ford Collier. And I really enjoyed your recent album, Sonder, with the brilliant vibraphonist Harriet Riley and bassist Stevie Toddler. What have you been working on recently? Well, actually, in fact, uh, today I've been uh, meeting up with Harriet and we've been talking about doing Sonder Number 2. Oh, um, excellent. To be the follow-up album, um, which is very exciting. I can't wait for that. Um, as you know, we've been in lockdown for ages, so I haven't been able to uh, really go out and do my normal job, which is gigging and playing at you know festivals and all sorts. I do lots of Kayleys normally. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I've uh, started a new band, which Great. is very exciting. Um, um, tell us about that. What's what's in that? It's going to be a quite traditional, down-the-line English folk trio, um, inspired by the likes of the English Acoustic Collective and Leverett and a bit of Spyro. There's some of our main influences. And um, that's going to be myself and uh, my two good friends, Danny Pedler and Sid Goldsmith. I've worked with Danny before. He's a brilliant guy. I think he's, I'm a big fan of his. Um, can't wait to hear it. Let me know and I'll be sure to buy an album um, or see a performance. Um, and and um, Word to the Wise, definitely see Alex live. He's one of the best live musicians I think I've ever seen. Um, I was looking at Sonder and um, there's the first track is called, um, tell me if I'm saying this right, Velikor? Velikor, yeah. Velikor, which is a strange, which means a strange wistfulness of bookshops. And I, I really loved that expression just because I really resonated with it straight away. I, I get a strange wistfulness around bookshops. Mm. Oh, how did you find that word? I can't remember, actually. I think I remember it resonating with me when I found it. And I think it might have just been through trawling through um, lots of books of kind of archaic words that we don't use anymore. Um, and I just found it probably in a book in an old bookshop. Um, and it just really resonated with me. I remember it always caused to calls back to my memory this um, one particular bookstore um, on Ecclesall Road in Sheffield that's just got this really kind of musty vibe. Mm. Um, and there's kind of a smell as you go into the shop of like old paper. Yeah, and it, all, all know, the best really bookshops does... have that smell. I, I, I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah, it really brings that you know, into my mind and it created a very vivid image, which was a, you know, a nice springboard to work with musically. Well, um, it's funny, isn't it? How, how much music can come out of springboards. And that brings me very neatly 
on to the um, next question I have to ask you. So the format with this episode is that Alex and I have agreed to do an arrangement of a short tune that each other has written. So he will write a piece for me to arrange and I will write a piece for him. Um, Alex, as you know, with the podcast, you, you get to pick one of three possible concepts to act as a springboard for our creative project. Um, and so I'd like to give you um, three concepts now, and I'd like you to pick one. Are you ready? Great. Okay. Totally, yeah. so the first one is The Green Man. The second, Wild Meadow. And the third, The May Queen. <laughs> I'm going to go for The Wild Meadow. Wild Meadow. Wonderful. And what appeals to you about this idea? Well, again, I think... Um, as I was saying earlier with Velikor, a lot of these concepts and words have become quite important for my music making and my process. And it always means a lot to me. Maybe this is something to do with having a background in folk music, but it always means a lot to me where I can picture a place or a memory, but specifically like a location. And when you said Wild Meadow just then, it made me really, really think of this one place that I used to love going to up in the Quantock Hills in Somerset, um, which is not far from where I grew up. And um yeah, I just got this very strong image in my mind of where that music's going to come from. It's so interesting for me how um, different things can stimulate creative ideas. Do, do you have a particular process there? Do, do, do you, uh, what, what is your process? Tell us more about it. I suppose my process is very material derived. I'd say that I'm an abstract sort of artist, as it were, in terms of writing, because everything is kind of derived from the material. I just love exploring melodic material and rhythmic material particularly. Um, and that's sort of, you know, the two main pillars of my my work. And then I tend to work with other people um, in terms of harmonizing or making a, a sort of polyphony or what, you know, wherever it's going to go. Um, but just back to the, the wild meadow thing as well, I think um, there's an element of exploring movement through melody and rhythm. And that kind of really evokes a strong image in my mind of like the wind it's yes. quite a windy day here actually yes yes no um, it is. I'm, I'm imagining this sort of oscillation of the of the grass in the meadow um sort of you know being powered by the wind um, so it's, it's a very sort of physical and pictorial thing there that's going on it's so interesting because yeah. uh, another thing that i i perhaps wrongly but i i, I associate very strongly with folk music generally is is the nuance of the place the difference between you know um a county and one county and another is so important and it can be crudely you know um stereotyped into oh here's a mixolydian tune and and i'm like no 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 never tell that to a folk musician because it really matters that this song comes from gloucestershire not you know somewhere else for example and i mean do, do you feel that very strongly that, that there's, there has to be a somerset quality to this thing you've got in your mind not necessarily. It depends on what material you're treating. I think sometimes, definitely, if it's a song about a place or a song about a time and a place, I think it's really important to be sensitive to where this has come from and kind of out of respect of the fact that this material is a lot older than I am. Absolutely. And has, been, has been passed down for a lot longer than my creative process has been a thing. Yeah. And, and also um, there's lots of people involved. There's, there's communities, there's, 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 there's lives one wishes to honour with that as well. 
Totally, yeah. All of the different mouths and ears that that song has been passed down through, um, all of those fiddlers' fingers that have played it hundreds <laughs> of years before mine. Um, but like in terms of writing new material, um, I feel like a, having a personal connection to that, you know, be it a time or a place that you're trying to capture or just something completely abstract is kind of more important than going down the analytical kind of more classical composition route of you know trying to explore form or trying to uh, best exploit a mode like the mixed living mode you know it's it's more about trying to sort of um develop a connection i think that's where folk music's led me personally Alex, I'd like to talk to you about your relationship with creativity. Um, have you always been creative? Uh, you'd have to ask my parents. Um, <laughs> I think I have always enjoyed the idea of creating something, whether that was, you know, I remember as a kid, I was fascinated by um, animation, actually, and I really just wanted to make short films. And I remember being fascinated by um using technology to capture things and almost like decorate time and space with like video recorders and tape recorders and things like that fascinated me as a child probably more than instruments did to be honest um, but when, when did you start learning did you start learning the violin was that your first instrument I did yeah that was my first instrument and always has been and um I was actually very lucky to be able to go to um like a, a fiddle school for very young kids i think i was probably about five or six um at wells cathedral school um which isn't where i ended up going to school but um i then ended up off the back of that my parents saw that i enjoyed it and managed to get me lessons with an amazing teacher called jan dobbins um, right and i really just sort of started to enjoy it from age sort of six seven upwards and wanted to be a violinist and i think there was a sense of like you know, always trying to do something that was a little bit different with the violin and using it as more of a kind of sound making tool rather than a classical instrument. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, folk music started to come in when I was a, sort of a young teenager. I got really, really keen on the idea of playing by ear, playing tunes in a mm. non-formal way, trying to sort of explore music in a a new way for me or in, mm. a, in a kind of way that didn't involve following rules <laughs> maybe i guess right. um, um, so i suppose that's a creative habit in a way does that still apply now that when you come to do a creative act whether you're performing someone's someone else's tune or you're performing in a band is that kind of um a, a reality in, in your in your mind as you play or is it now sort of unconscious like driving a car that you just drive without really thinking about it or I think there are certain habits um I don't know how detailed to go with this really but um if I'm playing a new tune so it's a tune that a friend has written and I'm I'm learning it there's no way I'll end up playing it the same way that they play it and quite a good example of that would be where do you put your ornamentation which is a big thing in folk music all the little twiddles and um little cuts and rolls and uh stuff you can do with your bow it's all very personal and i almost liken it to an accent um almost like a regional accent in fact in particularly in ireland and scotland you can actually map out 
the regional dialects of fiddle playing, um, which is quite cool. But, you know, everyone develops their own kind of voice in that sense. And I try and make sure that whatever I do, it's kind of mine. And it sounds like me rather than imitating someone else. I think that's, that's an interesting thing about voice as well, because um, no matter how we would try, we all have a voice which becomes detectable just even as we talk and you get used to the sound of your own spoken or singing voice. But when you hear any three different violins being played by three different people, you start to go, oh my goodness, they are so different in tones and tone and touch and sensibility. And and so I, I love that idea that that your voice is already yours. It's already there. It's just kind of accessing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's already there and you've spent a long time developing it. Um, tone, I think actually it's interesting to mention the voice because as a violinist, primarily, um, a lot of people do say that the violin was originally designed to emulate the sound of a human voice. You've got continuous pitch. You've got so much you can do with dynamic. You've got so much you can do with overtones and uh, kind of, I like to call it breath sound, which is the kind of sound that you get with the bow that isn't necessarily always intentional, but adds so much character. No two violins sound the same and no two violinists sound the same. So you're always going to get something unique. Moving the subject on a little bit, um, can I ask a different question? Um, do you find ideas and inspiration come easily to you? Do you um, are, are you always on, as it were, or, or, or are there points where you have to, I don't know, have a bath and um, have a glass of wine before you're sort of ready? Or, or is, it, is, is it always working? I'm not one of the people that gets, you know, kept up at night by ideas. Um, well, sometimes, but it's very rare that I will be so inspired that I have to write it down. But I would say that otherwise, I don't struggle to sit down and write something. Um, everyone has good and bad days, but I try and make tune writing as in you know the context of folk music. Tune writing is normally short phrases, eight bars at a time that repeat. You know, you get a thirty-two bar tune overall. It doesn't take very long. And there's something really nice about working with short form. And I've done it before. At the moment, I'm actually having a little bit of a quiet couple of weeks for writing. Though I'm getting back into it again this week. But I've done it before where I set myself, you know, six months, got to write a tune a day. And uh, I did that during lockdown and it was fantastic. And I ended up with tons of material. In terms of like other forms of creative music making, um, I've been doing a lot of ambient music recently. Right. Um, and trying to actually make the creative process as easy for myself as possible just in order to explore new things um so a lot of that kind of music making has been done using um creative technology been using a lot of effects pedals as plugins and been like really experimenting with signal chain and it's always like fun developing ideas in that way because you can't really you're, you're always going to do something new, basically. Yeah. You're never going to get stuck in that trap of creating the same sound or working with the same scale or the same motif that you've been stuck with for the past year. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it does happen, but I have always try and set limitations to be inspired by. Well, it's so interesting you say that. Um, something that Phil picked on in the last episode, and, and I was literally about to say that as well, that limitations are very necessary to be creative and then you can find th where you can be creative and what you can be creative with. So give a creative person tools and they'll figure out how to use them creatively and they, and they may, may well use them unconventionally. And that, that for me is always fascinating in terms of where discoveries happen. 
I wanted to ask you a, a violin-specific question, and this is from me as a pianist, that one of the things I'm aware of, and I'm basically paraphrasing something that Michael Finnessy said to me, which is about the relationship between the hand and the eye on the instrument. But do you look at your hand when you're improvising on the violin? I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that you can. Does that give you a really bad neck ache? <laughs> or is that something <laughs> where, you're, where you're actually just you're doing something in your imagination or are you aware of where your your fingers are moving on the fretboard i i actually don't look at my hand um my left hand i if i look anywhere at my instrument when i'm playing it's actually at the bridge um there's kind of i mean what, what there's a see? lot going on what do you see so i'm actually looking at what the bow is doing right because that's much more i can get a lot more feedback information from that um and you know the consistency at which you move the bow across the string is what equates to the tone that you have yeah um it's all uh speed over pressure or whatever Mm. you could probably come up with an equation for good tone yeah um (laughs) but that to me is a lot more interesting to know what i'm doing because that's like the kind of sound Mm. as opposed to the notes the notes are you know they're all there I, I sort of know where they are now um yes and i actually play mostly in first position anyway so right. i don't have a huge amount of shifts to to handle you know when you shift position on violin you have to generally i'd say be very careful about it because you don't want to overshoot or undershoot no, no, no. it's very noticeable <laughs> if yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, but as a folk musician i'm very used to playing everything in first position and i've got my two and a bit octave range that i can use there and that sort of I tend to actually look into the middle distance most of the time. Um, and I'd, sometimes eyes closed, although that can be problematic when you get into gigging again. You don't <laughs> yes. want to be doing a whole gig with your eyes shut. Alex, Alex! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, I say the same in jazz. It's, it's, uh, that's so interesting, though, for me, because, again, what we perceive, what we're paying attention to in the moment is, is it sound, is it harmony, is it tone, is it... And, and how that changes from instrument to instrument. Um listening to what other musicians are doing is as important as what what you're doing where do i fit in what's what's happening here um and i think the great ensemble players um are those who who's who listen really really sympathetically and intelligently and um so unselfishly as well i think that's that that's the thing that you there's something about ensemble playing that's um a rare art um I think it was Andre Previn who said, um, it's very hard to make music with people you don't like. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> that's definitely true. That's definitely true. <laughs> very good. So Alex and I are now going to go away and both uh, write a tune based on the idea of Wild Meadow. Um, and we will then give each other our idea and then arrange each other's idea in our own way. Back soon. In the real world, one day has passed in which Alex has written a tune for me and I have written one for him. And we've both spent a few hours arranging each other's tune. So remember that the prompt that Alex chose was Wild Meadows. So here is the tune that Alex wrote. In the original, it goes forwards then backwards, but now let's play an extract.
So, Alex, I absolutely love that. I think it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's elegiac. I just wanted to ask you um, how you came to write it. So I thought it was a really interesting uh, prompt word because it brought to mind this um, kind of very vivid piece of imagery um, of an actual meadow um, that I'd kind of pictured in my mind as a memory from childhood. Um, And I remember this kind of um, one of the most interesting things about it for me visually and kind of aesthetically was that the wind would make all the grass kind of oscillate in this pattern, almost like a wave kind of pattern. Um, And I've always been fascinated by oscillations because that's how we hear music and how we interpret sound. Um, And um, I wanted to kind of use a device, a compositional device that I've been exploring a lot recently, which is a palindromic tunes so um, by pandrem you mean like a mirror there's a midway point where the tune is the same going backwards as it is going forwards exactly yeah so like the word um kayak or well, i came up with a phrase uh, was it a cat i saw um <laughs> which is spelt exactly the same backwards as it is forwards um but yeah i've been writing a lot of these kind of tunes at the moment and you know as we talked a bit about yesterday it's being sort of inspired by the limitations of form in the context of folk music which is often very repetitive anyway so it lends itself to these back to front kind of uh kind of things and um i think you know there's a a sense that that movement from the wild windy meadow um is is kind of being explored as an oscillation in this tune both both ways around backwards and forwards but also in kind of micro macro form um mm. I, uh, it's so interesting because there's so a lot of overlap um with with what i did as well that I, I i was also really struck by that image of a lone figure against a sort of vast nature that was a very kind of stirring and primal image that i had in my head um and also i, I was thinking about wind um when i saw that you your um you'd added the word wind um, to it. I I, I was struck by that. And so my response was um, thinking about meter and changing meter and how um, wind constantly moves irregularly. So I was trying to think about um, rhythmic irregularities. And so in my tune, I had um, a sort of wider scheme of irrational numbers like 13 and 11 and seven sort of subdivided into these threes and twos. Um, So here's, if I just can play the tune that I wrote... Um, so when when you heard that, what did you think? I really liked it. Um, I kind of uh, immediately heard it as a sort of um, Englishy Purcell-esque kind of uh, slip jig. Um, the 9-8 struck me right at the beginning. Um, and as I played that through, I added, I started changing around, like obviously massively changed a lot of the rhythms in there to make it a lot more kind of which would be your kind of uh, slip jig rhythm. Um, 
Uh, can I just ask a technical term, because um, you're a folk specialist and I don't know what a slip jig is. Okay, so uh, a jig is uh, basically a tune or a dance uh, that's done for a tune in 6-8 normally in compound time. Um, but a slip jig would be a 9-8, so it has three groups of three beats. Um, so it's kind of um, the basis of a lot of um, more, uh, actually more Celtic um you know, something that would appear a lot in Cayleys, uh, Irish and Scottish Cayleys, as opposed to English okay. music. So, so can I ask a question of sort of reverence here? I, I was very naughty and I then stuck in a 2-4 bar, so it's going da 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 Were you like, don't don't mess with it, Fisher, you're crossing a line here. Am I allowed to do that, do you think? Well, if you were dancing a slip jig, that that would very much throw you off um but we're not dancing a slipping <laughs> so it's fine what i ended up doing actually was kind of looking at that and i really i love asymmetrical rhythms i love kind of um lots of sudden changes and i was playing it around as written and then i was hearing those as dotted groups of three so i ended up where you were going i was hearing so it's adding a six bar instead of a nine bar which is just you know another way of elongating the phrase and maybe just make it fit more with the kind of um the lilting asymmetrical rhythm that i was trying to play um so think of it more as something what feels nice to play rather than what's the most kind of dramatic rhythm essentially um and i did a similar thing in the b where i i actually reversed so i made the the seven eight bars that you started the b with the digger digger um that's seven eight followed by a three four bar i actually kind of reversed that so i made the compound time bit the first bit and then the second bit felt like a seven bar um so really yeah just messing around with the rhythms to make it feel I don't know, maybe just a little bit more lilting. So, shall we have a quick listen of your arrangement of my piece? I'm looking forward to this. Here it is. I love that so much. I I just I think you're amazing, Alex. I really do. Which part did you put down first? I put down the higher part first. Um, so I kind of naturally approach things uh, melody, sort of top down, I guess, in terms of um, actual frequency of the notes. But I think I had this idea in mind for an intro. Um, I wanted to actually. I just remember listening back to it. I had a really clear inspiration in mind right at the beginning which is um one of the tracks off uh one of my favorite albums of all time which is called woodworks by the danish string quartet 
and they arranged these um really kind of nice simple scandinavian tunes in a very modal way and have a lot of sort of um simple polyphony so either ostinati underneath things or just having like a pad or a drone um lots of nice unison as well um that's sort of where i was going and i started with the melody uh played the melody around loads and experimented with the rhythms and the ornamentation and then put in the second part afterwards i mean i was very struck by the ornamentation that you were adding with with that as well that the um it struck me that there was an awful lot of detail when you when you see a score um and i, and I said because the score you sent me hadn't had no ornamentation in are you aware, aware in your head where you're going to put an, an ornament and are you aware also what kind of ornament that's going to be there's a lot to unpack there i think with um a lot of ornamentation i hate to say it but it is just kind of what feels right <laughs> okay, um sure. there are kind of guidelines so i think often putting an ornament uh, on the lead up to the sort of uh, apex of a tune so maybe yeah. the highest note or the, the loudest bit yeah. uh, feels right especially if you've got a longer note you might kind of want to sweep into it or sweep out of the note um, generally one of the nicest uh, most satisfying bits of the rhythm of playing jigs or slip jigs in this case um, is always emphasizing let's say we're in six um, always emphasizing beats three and six as opposed to one and three um, with you know that's a bowing device but you've got your and also not playing your rhythms as so you're not going you know straight six all the time you're slightly dotting somewhere between a triplet and a dot and you can shift it around as well i think that's what really characterizes this tune for me um Actual ornaments, there's a couple of trills in there, like Scandi trills, which are like half trills, where you go, up. so up, down, up, as you hit the note, we obviously do that very quickly. Um, there's a couple of rolls, there's a couple of cuts, which is where you uh, pretend that you've changed bow direction by uh, just flicking the string with one of the fingers that you're not using. Um, what else have I done? I put in a little two-octave harmonic, which is fun. <laughs> It's blooming impressive. Um, it's and... um, yeah. No, I I loved it. I just thought I was it was so impressive. Also the the way with the cad point, you're moving between two parts in unisons. Um, and I can also imagine being in tune with yourself. There's a kind of what was I doing last time kind of thing. Do you do you find that I I know when I record against myself, I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's I, I sort of wish I'd got it better first time round. But it's, um... yeah, it's a lot to hold in your head. Um. You know, thanks to the joys of technology, if I was arranging, um, you know, with with all the time in the world, I would do it bit by bit and I'd do every little bit, bit by bit and end up with like a completely polished recording. As you can hear with this, I'm playing each part continuously all the way through. There's been no editing done. And to show that I've filmed myself doing each take as well. So there was an opportunity to kind of... Um, really really go in on each tiny little bit but what i did was just play each one around probably about five times um until i knew what was going to happen at each point um i didn't actually write out an arrangement at you all. didn't rescore it wow that's that's no, very impressive i was just reading it off off the uh off the chart but just reading it wrong <laughs> <laughs> And now 
I'm going to play an extract of my arrangement of Alex's tune. You can hear the full piece at the end of the podcast. But for now, here's just a bit of my wild meadow. There you go. What did you think? I love it. It's uh, I love music that is just so larger than life and epic, and you know it really goes there. Um, it's very very flattering as a violinist to hear this like huge orchestra behind you. It's amazing. Uh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. I I was I was sort of struck how pictorial everything became, and and it's funny because I was beginning to think a bit film composery, and uh, there are various um, sort of things especially with some of the timbres as well you're like oh is that a bit too dot 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 but i it was it's a joy to work on because of the the way that you were playing it actually um that there was some technical challenges with with managing the tempo and so yeah. what i started to do so i did a tempo map of the first half following every single beat you were doing and it was a real headache <laughs> and then after about halfway through i stopped and i just ignored what you were doing and i just kept the tempo consistent and what was really interesting was I couldn't even. I didn't even notice that that they begin became to become two separate things. That the second half of the the tune becomes a tiny bit out, and I rather liked that kind of uh, idea behind it. That there's again this. Perhaps it links to the, the the figure walking in the in the field by themselves. But it's um. There's a looseness to it that I really enjoy, and I, I love stuff like that. I think when when done deliberately. Um, you know, having a looseness to timing, not just a rubato, but in a polyphonic sense, having like people not necessarily playing together, but just kind of reacting. Um, that's how it felt to me. Um, it was really, really beautiful. It was lovely. So just to draw things to a close, Alex, um, it's been wonderful to have you. You've been an absolutely superb guest. I'm absolutely in awe of your abilities and talents. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, you're very welcome, Andy. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And uh, I obviously look forward to the next time we can collaborate, but also uh, look forward to seeing you in the real world sometime very soon. Maybe, you know, in a venue or a festival field somewhere. I definitely will be there with bells on. Great. <laughs> Dressed as a Morris dancer. <laughs> Now we've reached the end, I'd like to hear both arrangements in full. So, first of all, here is Alex's arrangement of my work.
And here is my arrangement of Alex's work. Thanks for joining me in the Two Rivers Cafe this week. It's been a lot of fun. I'd like to thank the hugely talented Alex Garden for his time, talent, insight and genial company. If you want to see a video of Alex playing his piece, please follow the link in the episode description. And this is also the place to find out more about my life as a composer. My name is Andrew Fisher and this episode of the Two Rivers Cafe podcast was produced, as always, by Jim and Rupert of Driver 8. Look out for the next episode when it appears, but in the meantime, I encourage you all to get creative and find someone to collaborate with. Goodbye. <laughs>